0: I think we are ready, good to see you all, and uh, your questions and comments are very welcome. That's one of the reasons we like and do this class, so let's pray. Our Father, we have come together tonight as your people because you have called us into fellowship with your Son the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for doing that mercy uh, for us. And we do pray that we would increase in our gratefulness and our trust to you, uh, that we would increase in our patience uh, toward others, uh, Lord, and that you would make us more like Jesus we thank you for the high calling to follow him. That seems uh, insurmountable at times, Lord. We, we pray for the spiritual warfare that rages at times in our minds and our hearts. Uh, we thank you that you know all things, you, you see all things, and you know us better than we know ourselves. And as David prayed, that you would uh, reveal the hurtful ways that are in us uh, for our good, and Lord, we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we thank you that Bill Carson has been able to come home after all these many months. We pray that you strengthen him and Debbie. And Lord, we ask your presence for Frida and Dorothy, as you may call them home. Um, thank you for the certainty of uh, the empty grave that our Lord Jesus is the first firstfruits and we thank you for that. Lord we pray that you deepen our understanding of the gospel that you help us be more equipped to explain it to others and and our children to encourage them to know that they need to call upon you and that you're a God full of mercy So we pray for our many children in this congregation, that your word would become alive to them and that they would seek the bread of life. Uh, We thank you for one another, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going through the New Testament and we're up to our Lord's death. Um. As I was, I was thinking this afternoon that there's no greater, more significant event in the history of the human race than what we're studying here tonight. There just isn't. Um, the Son of God incarnated, that means taking on our human nature and revealing the true God to us, and ultimately uh, dying as that wrath-appeasing sacrifice to God's justice, and then rising from the dead. Um, this, is, this, is the, um, this is the high point of human history. It just It just is. Uh, the thing that, things that the angels long to look into. Peter tells us that the angels long to look into these things. And so we're a privileged people that we have the Old Testament word of the prophets who describe the coming of Christ. The prophets uh, promise this greater son of David, the, the seed of the woman that would bruise and destroy the head, uh, the head of the serpent we have all of these prophets and the law in the Old Testament laying that foundation so that we can understand the Son of God when He comes. And then we have these Gospels that show us what He did, His works, His teaching. And then we have the rest of the New Testament that explains to us what happened during those 33 years culminating with the death and resurrection of Christ. That's what the letters are about in your Bible, starting with Romans. Those letters uh, look back. The prophets look forward, correct? The law and the prophets look forward to the coming of the Son of God. Give us that foundation to be able to understand him when he comes. Now, the Romans and all the letters that follow, they look back. They look back to this point in history that we're studying. They look back to the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the incarnation of the Son of God, and those letters from Romans forward explain what God has done and is doing in His Son. And and we we get to have all that, we'll use a big word, revelation, we get to have all that knowledge from God right here in front of us. By having the Word of God, so we are we are blessed people. God has drawn near to us. you realize that? God has drawn very near to us through His Son and through His word. Uh, that's just a wonderful thing so um where are we in our study here of Christ's death? <clears throat> I get it up here in a hurry this time. <laughs> Still trying to redeem myself from last week. <laughs> here's, our, here's our outline, the Son of Man lifted up. And last week we studied the inscription. Uh, what was on that inscription? What did it say? Mark? King of the Jews. Jesus, King of the Jews. <laughs> King of the Jews, that's right. Uh, what languages was it written in? That's two. That's two. And Latin. That's three. Okay. What was, whose language was Hebrew? Don't think too hard on that one. You can figure that out by the name of the language. The Hebrews. <laughs> the Hebrew language was for the Hebrews or the Jews. What about Latin? Romans, us and Italians. <laughs> okay, yeah, Romans. What about Greek? What language was that? Greek. What was that? The language of sort of Gentiles. Gentiles and kind of what the Roman Empire. Kind of everybody. Um, uh, everybody. Everybody knew that. Um, yeah. Now, where did the where did all that Greek language come from?
1: Greece?
0: Huh? Greece? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's clever. How how did it get spread all over the Roman Empire? Yeah, you know, Greece is a pretty small place. Well, prior to the Roman Empire, I was there. Okay. Yeah, our historian here. We have two historians here tonight. Uh, Richard is one of them. Fred Fred is another one. He he. he Yeah, the reason that Greek spread all over was because Alexander the Great conquered all those things. And he was just in love with Greek culture. And he did everything he could to instill Greek culture throughout the whole of his empire. And that's how Greek came to that. The Greek language came to prominence. And in God's providence, of course, that's the language that God chose to give you and I our New Testaments, isn't it? That's the language he chose to do that. And that language became the vehicle for the good news about his son, Jesus Christ. So, I mean, these are profound things. The world may mock us and think little of us, but you have any idea the profundity of the things that that we have and that we think about and talk about? It's really cool. (laughs) So, so the oh, how'd we get off on all that? The inscription, there we go, there's our languages. The inscription over the cross uh, in three languages. We studied that last week. We studied last week the insults and the blaspheming that was all hurled against Jesus while he was physically suffering. And then we studied about the two rebels that were crucified, one on the left, one on the right, with Jesus. So tonight we're going to try to do these next two. Those standing by by Jesus and Jesus' address to his mother. And then we want to spend the rest of our time on the three hours of darkness is the things we're going to cover tonight. So there on page 228, there's one little leftover that, that having to do with paradise. And we, I left that paragraph off uh, regarding Jesus' promise to the repentant rebel on one of the crosses. Uh, today you will be with me in paradise. That is Luke twenty-three forty-three. And Jesus said to him, "Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise." And Nathaniel did an excellent Sunday school a few a few weeks back on a whole bunch of these terms, and this this was included in it. So I actually kind of leveraged off his Sunday school here to say a few things about about this. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> And I've got a quote here that I modified from J. Edwards' commentary on Luke, and I bracketed are some of my inserts. <clears throat> paradise, quote, paradise occurs only three times in the New Testament, here in Luke twenty-three forty-three, But let's very quickly look at the other two times. Uh, the, the other time is in 2 Corinthians twelve four. And this is kind of significant, because this is Paul's testimony. He goes, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He's, he's referring to himself. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for man to utter. So here we find Paul using that term about his post-resurrection experience of being caught up into paradise and that's our term. And the other place it's used in the New Testament, Revelation 2, 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now what does that remind you of in the Bible? Somebody besides Fred. <laughs> Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. Isn't that right? Absolutely. It's like we're returning to the original creation and Garden of Eden. We're going to be better off than Adam and Eve were, but everything is driving to return to a new creation, a renewed creation that every vestige of sin will be removed. And uh, uh, so... <clears throat> that term paradise there is used. So, those are the other places. Now, par- okay, it occurs as the, in the New Testament, is also the opposite of Gehenna, which is hell, the place of condemnation and punishment. In Jewish literature, paradise is a transcendent place of blessedness, a celestial garden of Eden. Well, we kind of see that in the Revelation 2, 7, don't we? It's a celestial garden of Eden reserved for the righteous after death. Some think that paradise also signifies a lower heavenly echelon or temporary eschatological state until the second coming. Bracket, these are my words, I think this is better. I learned this from Nathaniel, Or prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, at the time, uh, a temporary location prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, at which time he led captivity captive. But now, after Jesus' resurrection, and on the basis of 2 Corinthians 12.4, the term appears to... Signify the full presence of God, the highest in the highest heaven. So, what we're saying there is historically, prior to the death and resurrection of Christ, the concept of paradise is where the righteous went after death. But since the atonement hasn't occurred and resurrection hasn't occurred, those Old Testament saints really were not in the highest. Of glory, But after Jesus' death and resurrection, that temporary place for the Old Testament saints is now what we commonly call heaven. So I wanted to put that in. Any thoughts or comments on, on that? I know that's a big subject, and this is just a small part of it, but Anybody? OK. Uh, Brian, I knew we should have brought the microphone back there first. <laughs> you know, we might be here till nine
1: if I can't get through the other things. I'm joking. You. <laughs> um, so, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but after uh, so paradise, you're saying is where the Old Testament. Righteous people went, so Abraham, yes. all of them. Yeah. Is that also called Abraham's bosom?
0: Yes, some would say that is a parallel concept. That's gotcha. Correct. And then
1: did Jesus go into paradise after being converted to heaven? <laughs> well, that's is where that the what...
0: questions come up. As how you understand the descended into Hades' statement in Peter. Yeah. and in, in Ephesians, he led captivity captive. That's the other expression in Ephesians 4. So we don't have a lot. We just got that very difficult text in First Peter, and then Paul's text is not that easy in Ephesians four either about leading captivity captive. And uh, but Abraham's bosom, uh, Jesus' parable, or maybe it was a real account of the rich man and Lazarus. The ri- Lazarus is now in Abraham's bosom, and he's comforted, and the rich man is in
1: torment. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. In in. Do you believe that um, with those other passages, did Jesus actually witness or try to reach the lost? I, I've heard some people kind no, of think no, that No, I don't was... believe that at all. Okay. I don't
0: believe that there is a second chance theology. Some have done that. They've said Jesus has gone to those places, right. and he's given them a second chance. No. Okay. That's cultic. Um, no, there... They're, And the passage where it does say he went and he proclaimed to the spirits in prison, I believe those were evil spirits and what he's proclaiming is his power and dominion and reign that all things are subjected to him. And that's what that... The spirits prior to the flood, right? Those that were imprisoned prior to the flood that are held in bonds... In, in, in bonds. We'll get to that in Peter. No, I believe that is part of his exaltation, his, his uh, defeat of all the powers that be. And we know that the New Testament writes that way about him. Okay? Okay, good note. So <clears throat> Okay, so we're going to move forward now to uh, the next scene that, that we have <clears throat> is going to come from the Gospel of John. Chapter 19, and we are we? Verse 25. <clears throat> we cannot be certain, but it seems likely that Jesus' address to his mother occurred prior to the three hours of darkness. It seems that that three hours of darkness is just, uh, it's almost silent except for some expressions that Jesus makes during those three hours. So I'm not certain about this, that, that Jesus' address is before that. But chronologically, I think it fits pretty well there. And so John chapter 19, verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene so let 's stop there for a minute. Um, John reports that three or four women and John himself were within hearing distance of Jesus and um, were surprised to hear that they're within hearing distance of Jesus. however, the synoptic gospels report that many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking from afar. And we have that in Matthew 27, 55 and in Mark and a few other places. And if you try to work through this, you got, do we have two groups? One that's witnessing from afar and this smaller group that is standing by the cross? Probably not. You really can't come up with uh, two separate groups one close, one far. Uh, likely what is happening here, we're going over a six-hour period at least. Folks from the far group, likely some of them moved closer, closer to the cross, and they moved around during, uh, during this time. You see, um, like for instance, Luke 23:49. let's look at that real quickly here. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee, he stood at a distance watching these things. And then Mark, um, how does Mark report it? Let me throw that up to um, Mark 1540. There were also women looking on looking on from afar, <clears throat> among whom were Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James, the less, and Joseph and Salome. So you you can't get these lists to line up perfectly. John's list doesn't line up perfectly with Mark's, and that's not surprising if uh, they are moving around during this six-hour period, and uh, the the memories of the synoptic authors are capturing one particular time uh, during the this six-hour period. Now. So going back to John, um, so John's list ha- has either three or four women in it. If you look at the notes there, uh, we have Mary Jesus' mother, Jesus' mother's sister, right uh, of Jesus his mother, Jesus' mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, the reason we don't know whether there's three or four women is because of this expression here. Uh, And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. (laughs) You see, you can read that either way. In other words, you can read this that Jesus' mother's sister is Mary, the wife of Clopas, and it's grammatically indeterminable. There's no secret grammatical code that uh, you can figure out this whether this phrase is another person or whether it is descriptive of this. Um I'm not sure I don't have all that committed to memory. So, um yeah. So here what we have from John is at least three or four of these women and Mary Magdalene is the woman whom Jesus cast out seven demons. And one other person is here, the disciple whom Jesus loved when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. And that's code for the Apostle John. Uh, most, uh, most conservative commentators still believe that that's, the, that's John. That's John referring to himself, the author of the gospel we're studying here. So when Jesus sees Mary and John standing by the cross, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Jesus said to John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple, John, took her to his own house. So this is a kind of a heart-wrenching scene (laughs) uh, unfolding here before us. Um, John suddenly appears on the scene the last time we saw John, he was letting Peter into the high priest's courtyard, and now in the in the gospel record, John reappears and he's at the, he's at the cross with Mary and these three other other women. And so now it's Friday afternoon, Jesus sees Mary and John standing there, and he says to Mary, "Woman, behold your son." Um it's not on your notes. I thought about it after. This type of address woman uh, doesn't sound very affectionate, <laughs> uh doesn't sound very courteous. It's not incourteous, okay? And but it's not it's not an a a familiar there's not a familiarity in that address. Who else in the gospels did Jesus? Address as woman in this way it's a very prominent incident in the gospels. The woman, the, well. the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that's the same form of address when he so this could be used for strangers. This form of address could be used for strangers. Mm-hmm. Hand him the microphone Richard the hand, hand the boys in the mic. Didn't didn't Jesus refer
2: to the lady who, well, at Lazarus when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Didn't he um, refer to the woman who had said to him that I will? Or Jesus rebuked the lady who tried to, or was you know when he says um, that he has been in the tomb for four days? She says I forgot her name.
0: Doesn't he refer to her, woman,
2: and then says
0: whoever? I don't think so, but I'll have to check that. I'm not perfectly sure. There's one other place where he actually addresses Mary the same way, with this same type of address. Do any of you remember where that is? So there at the beginning of his ministry, at the wedding in Cana. Yeah, Mark, Mark, you know that. The, The wedding in Cana when uh, in chapter 2, or actually I think I, I think I loaded that up here. Yeah, uh, Jesus' first miracle. And they're at the wedding in Canaan. When they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And the hour that Jesus is talking about here is probably the... The the public uh, manifestation of himself and his miracles, so uh, so this this type of address likely is is um, it's because Mary even here in John chapter two. This is not the normal relationship <laughs> between a mother and her son. That is going to change now that Jesus is in His public ministry. What miracles He works and those that He doesn't are all directed by the Father, not by Mary. <laughs> okay, that's what. Do, what do, uh, What does He say there? Uh, w- what does your concern have to do with me? Okay, so we're in this realm. She's, of course, expecting that he can work a miracle. I, you know, they have no wine. You know. I can't, this is kind of funny too. This is, such, this is so, so much like women talking to men. You, you know, you ladies, you come up to your husbands and you just give them a fact. You just say one fact, they have no wine. And then you just stop and wait. You know, and the guy starts sweating bullets. You know, like, er, what am I supposed to do? What, what does she want? <laughs> this is such it's a fear. It's not demeaning. No. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not demeaning, but it's not, it's not the normal affectionate way you would address your mother either. You know, it's like we would say lady or ma'am. We would use those terms in English like, If you're referring to a woman who is uh, not a relative of yours and not known, you would refer to her, if you were a southerner, you might refer to her as ma'am or as lady. But I think what's going on, even here in John chapter 2, is that Jesus is preparing her that, you know, you don't want to be so affectionately attached to me because of who I am and what's going to happen. I, I, I see that in these addresses here, that, that there, there is, I, I believe, an expression of his care for her uh, regarding her, her being his, bio, his mother, okay? Her being his, his mother. I think that's going on, why he, he's trying to put some distance there for her own um, well being. And which, get this scene in front of you, Jesus is on the cross being crucified. John and Mary are standing there by the cross. And it makes me flash all the way back to Simeon's prophecy to Mary. And if we flash all the way back to the beginning, Jesus' birth, this is, this is the ultimate fulfillment. Mary at that standing there at the cross is the ultimate fulfillment of what Simeon prophesied when Jesus was born. And here we are in Luke chapter 2, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all nations, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled. This is Mary. And Joseph and Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And then he goes on, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Well, that sword is piercing through Mary's soul when she stands there at the crucifixion of Jesus and watches her son die this horrific death. And I would say she must have heard the derelict, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so there's Mary, uh, and there's Simeon's uh, prophecy uh, to Mary. So uh, those things weren't in your notes. I scribbled them on here after to connect Mary at the scene of Jesus' crucifixion and this prophecy from from Simeon. So, um, John understands what's going on here. He said to his disciple, Behold your mother. So these are the final words of a dying man caring for his mother who is surely widowed at this time and probably in her early 50s, that's a guess, with little or no personal income and dependent on Jesus as her eldest son in that household. So um, that John understood Jesus in this manner is clear from what he writes. And from that hour, John himself is writing this. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Uh, The question here sometimes arises, where are Jesus' brothers, and why are they not given any responsibility for their mother? And the common explanation for that, which probably is true, is they are still unbelievers. They're not believing in Jesus. None of his brothers are believing him at this time. Can you imagine at this exact point in time, his brothers are saying, see, we told you. (laughs) He's not the Messiah. So that's probably why uh, uh, Mary isn't given into the care of, of the other brothers who are still living. Instead, Jesus goes outside of the family household and has Mary be taken care of by one of his disciples, by, by John, by the Apostle John. So, so that's the scene there. Uh, any thoughts or questions on that? before we move in to uh, take the microphone back there. There's a bunch of people kind of on, that watch this online. Oh, That's why gosh. we need to use the mic, especially.
1: <clears throat> just a brief question. Do we know what happened to Joseph or where he's been for all this? Nope. There's
0: just indications like this that he's no longer on the scene. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, our heaviest work tonight is uh, beginning here in Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. 45, the three hours of, of darkness. So <clears throat> let's, uh, let's get there. Matthew 27 uh, and verse 45. Um, Matthew gives us uh, most, the most detail regarding the three hours of darkness However, John and Luke add a few additional, very significant uh, comments as well. But we'll kind of follow Matthew, and then I'll jump off and fill in with John and, and Luke and g- kind of go back to Matthew. But, so, um, now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. That would be from, uh, from 12 noon to 3 p.m. Okay, this is Friday. That's the time frame. Darkness, there's darkness over all the land. In the Old Testament prophets, astronomical bodies, sun, moon, and stars being darkened is repeatedly associated with divine judgment. Okay, that's what the darkness figure means here. There can be no doubt about that. Uh, The prophets lay all that foundation for us. Uh, uh, Two examples would be Amos 8, Uh, 9 through 10. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. This is the most explicitly uh, figure, one that lines up with uh, with, uh, what's happening there. I will turn your feast in the morning, in all your songs into lamentation, I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only sun, and its end like a bitter day. So, judgment. Sun will not give us light, and he will darken the earth during the day, in the broad daylight. Judgment. Uh, Joel, uh, Joel chapter 2. Uh, verse 10 through 11. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their
3: brightness. Uh, Pastor, it's Oh, me. tell me. It reminds me of eclipse, you know, the, the sun. It, yeah, would it be I'll, I'll similar, talk about
0: that. It's very unlikely the, that that's the explanation. That's not the case. Thank you. No, one of the reasons... We know now, astronomically, if the bodies have always moved in their regular patterns, it's impossible for there to be this type of an eclipse at that Passover week. Uh, our scientific knowledge has, has, has worked that out. But that's interesting, uh, Thelma. There's a Greek term that Luke uses that sometimes is referring to eclipse. And I'll mention that, I'll mention that here, here in a moment. But but these the, the, the key thing to get here, whatever the mechanism was for making this darkness, the key thing is what the darkness means. Okay? And what the darkness means is there is some horrific divine judgment that is taking place. That's what the darkness means. And we know that from how the darkness, all the, from the prophets, we, we know that's, a, that's what the darkness means is divine judgment is taking place. The darkness was on all the land, probably of Israel is the meaning there, all the land of Israel, whose residents would have some context to understand it, that is through the prophets. Can you imagine after the death and resurrection of Christ and those who experienced this darkness, they would make that connection, just like we make it, to the Old Testament prophets, that this was a gigantic divine judgment, is what's happening. Some have mistakenly emphasized that this darkness was a sign of judgment upon Israel for rejecting the Messiah. However, no one in Israel dies at this time or is judged or abandoned. No one but one man. Right? No one is judged or abandoned at this time but one man, he who was on the cross being crucified. The Son of God is enveloped in divine judgment. The darkness tells us a divine judgment is taking place. But where? It is taking place on the one who is cursed and hanging on a tree. Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3. Okay. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So there's your judgment according to the law, and there's your darkness. That divine judgment is what is taking place. He is experiencing the judgment he himself often spoke of. And these will go away into the outer darkness. Yeah. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus described what he was going to experience. And he's experiencing it here. As far as the darkness goes, let's look at Luke's language. Luke uses... Uh, a little bit of different language here, Thelma. And this relates to Thelma, what you, what you just mentioned. Now, in the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. That's just what the synopsis of Matthew and Mark say. But G- Luke adds another term. Then the sun, Helios, Luke explicitly refers to the sun. Then the sun was darkened. Okay. And the veil of the temple and so forth. Um, but Luke uh, brings in the sun was darkened. Now, unfortunately, there's a textual variant here. Uh, but uh, Luke said, and there was darkness. That's the same. Um, let, me, let me go to verse 5. Then the sun was darkened, New King James, Texas Receptus. Uh, there's a Greek text here. And the veil of the temple was torn and through. Um, later translations, they all use sun. All the translations use sun, Helios. But the ESV and others don't use darkened, they use a different term failed, obscured. Okay. While the sun's light failed, is what uh, the sun was obscured. Uh, the sun's light failed. Um, the NIV, the sun stopped shining, uh, and so forth. So Luke makes explicit reference to the sun itself being darkened, and uh, it cannot be an eclipse, uh, astronomically at least. If, um, so I just thought I should, I should just point that out. Luke uses that different term pardon me. Why not? Why not? Because uh, knowing the rotations of all the planets and all the rotations of the solar system, we can just back it up in time, and we can see when all the when all the eclipses occurred throughout history. We can actually know the dates of all of that. You know. Now. That's because the solar system, system operates like yeah. a machine.
3: Yes, and I know yeah. you know you're a learned man. But, it,
0: <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that, but
3: <laughs> it, it my question is it was planned by God the Father, who's Yahweh and God the Son before yes. we it was even the yes. earth was dreamed of, yeah, and so that was what's happening because yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna oh, stop you sorry. there
0: because we're gonna talk about. Jesus is going to say something himself, which is going to emphasize exactly what you're emphasizing, Thelma, that this was according to plan, and just just hold that for a bit and and uh i'll scratch I'll scratch that itch in a bit so um so let's go back to the the three hours of darkness. I wanted to show you Luke's treatment of the darkness, so it is. It is midday, but the darkness persists for three hours. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no more difficult text to face in all of the Bible and the Scriptures than that text. I believe that. Okay? That's the most difficult text to face in all of Scripture if we understand these things correctly. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is conscious of being abandoned by his Father. The one who was never alone, the one who was never separated from his Father from eternity past, is now alone, experiencing divine. Rejection. Okay? And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, outer darkness, divine rejection from the presence of God. If any presence of God is being experienced it is only his wrath nothing else nothing else
4: Mm-mm.
0: for the one who knew the intimacy described in Matthew 11:27 such abandonment must have been agony far beyond anything we can comprehend. We cannot comprehend this. It's way beyond the physical agony. <laughs> this is relational separation. <laughs> okay? Way beyond the physical agony. And, and this derelict cry out of the Son of God. Is the doctrine of the Trinity important? Yeah, it's important. Father and Son are two separate persons. Okay? This isn't just um, God by himself. The Trinity is important, isn't it? Father and Son are two separate persons. They are split at this point beyond our comprehension, but Jesus isn't faking it. The Son of God is experiencing this abandonment, this rejection. It's broken. The text is too difficult to face. The text is difficult to face, not for unbelieving eyes, but for those who have believing eyes, the text is difficult to face. You kind of want to stand up and say, no, no. <laughs> no, don't do it. And you know what Jesus would say to you if you said that? The Amen, Mark. That's right. Peter said, no, no. Don't let this happen to you. And Jesus responded with that, or you're right, yeah, get behind me, Satan. No, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. This derelict cry, this spectacle of abandonment is because of us. It's because of us. Jesus is abandoned and punished because he became legally responsible for us before God's justice see that that's why it's that's why it's so hard to face this if you not for unbelieving eyes but for believing eyes you and i <laughs> Well, we, we wouldn't say, why have you forsaken me? We, we would know good and well why we were forsaken, right? Just like the other thief, the, 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 the rebel on the cross, we deserve this. It. So it's very difficult to face. He's abandoned because of us. Jesus is abandoned and punished because he became legally responsible for us before the justice of God. He uh, signed up to be legally, before the law of God, responsible for us. So, um, um, okay. Go ahead, Thelma.
3: Maybe it's it's not what you're talking about because okay. it reminds me of James one twenty. I I don't know that. Yeah, it's um it's the wrath of man, the, the unbelievers. Oh no, that, that really doesn't. I know no. it's, it that's, doesn't no. Pertain no. to it, but that doesn't it, that it that really have that anything to do with it? Okay. That, yeah, that be a
0: that would be a sidetrack of where I want okay. our minds to be Thank focused, you. Brian.
1: But didn't Jesus know why this was, so why he's, he's asking a question there, right? Why have you forsaken me? But. Uh, He's experiencing
0: that, that abandonment. Um, Yeah. Um, I'll have to think about that, Brian. Let Let me, let me, let me think about that. I, I, I think the experience described in those words is real. Let me me, me say that. That that is very, very real. There is a separation and abandonment. It's not like there is a real abandonment. I I mean, there are some who have said, well, no, no, the, 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 the abandonment wasn't really real. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. So... And uh, let me think about that unless uh, Fred, you have an uh, offered to, uh, give give Fred the microphone.: <laughs> Oh, did you have a question? I'm sorry. I'm just very oh, quick because this
4: is going back just to clear something up with regard to what I mentioned about Mary's sister. Oh, and I was incorrect. Anne was, by legend, she's not in the Bible, Anne and Joachim, were okay. Mary's parents. Elizabeth is the woman I confused, oh. with Elizabeth being John the Baptist's, John the Baptist's mother.
0: mother, no relation. Okay, yeah, I, you know, I hadn't, Anne didn't ring a bell to me, Richard, that <laughs> was so good, I, I'm glad it didn't. Uh, now, if I knew my church history well enough, maybe it would have, but, well, Martin Luther said, help me St. Anne, when, when he was almost struck by lightning, that's, that's the only reference to Anne I know. Is that the one? <laughs> okay, Richard. Fred, go. <laughs> um. So,
2: yeah, in regard to that being a question, you know, yes, Jesus is really experiencing it, and he's in anguish. But I think, you know, uh, this is the same Lord Jesus who said, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah, And whatever kind of mysterious uh, thing we would have, you know, when we think about time. And the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus yeah. Christ, what he knew before he came to planet Earth, right. you know, I think he, he knew it in whatever that means, that this was going to happen. And he knew why.
0: Oh, he knew it, it yeah. was going to happen.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, but don't reduce the, 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 the abandonment and the rejection to just like his humanity Okay, because we have one person here, correct? Mm-hmm. We have one person, and that person is divine and human. And so I can't explain divine, one divine person rejecting another divine person. Right. But I believe that is exactly what took place.
2: The, the other half of what I was going to say also <laughs> is that you know, there's there's a lot of statements. Uh, uh, I couldn't find one right off the bat. In the Gospel of John in particular, where Jesus says, you know, I am saying this for the benefit of the people listening. Right. Right? And so this... Jesus could have been rejected by the Father, and we never would have known it if he hadn't said this oh, out
0: loud. That's a good point. Okay, Mariah had her hand up next in the back. And, and then... Um, then we'll go through Wendy, and then we'll get up here to you guys. Go ahead, Mariah.
4: So when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me on the cross, then wasn't that a reference to a psalm in the Old Testament? Oh,
0: yes, yes, uh, Psalm uh, Psalm 22, that's correct. We haven't, yeah. Okay, because in not understanding
4: the verse and how he used it in the New Testament, I think we would have to understand how it was being used in the Old Testament in order to understand the reference.
0: The very first part of your sentence, I didn't get. Could you repeat that? The very first part of your sentence.
4: In order to understand what Jesus was saying when he quoted that, we would have to understand what he was saying, or what the original Psalm was saying, and understand what he what it meant in order to understand the reference, right?
0: Um, yes and no. Uh, Jesus is fulfilling. Psalm 22 is a psalm of David where David is being forsook by his enemies and, and, and is being persecuted and being rejected and, um, and so forth. And I think David, oh boy, uh, we're running out of time. I, I better stop because I may not quote the text correctly, but we'll look into Psalm 22 um, uh, next uh, next week. So, okay. But, yeah, that's a very good point. We need to, that, the Psalm 22 is scripture that bears on, on Christ's death and us understanding it.
4: Yeah. I think it would help with yeah. understanding what he meant on the cross. Yeah. By looking more into
0: that. Yeah, you know, I, I you pushed I me over say, the edge here. I I've teetered back and forth on whether to read the entire Psalm twenty two or not during these lessons. So you've pushed me over the edge. We're gonna read the entire Psalm twenty two next week.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing was this <laughs> okay. when we I see the my God, my God forsaken me because the kids sing it, it was in in my head You guys that sang was, it was Psalm twenty two.
0: Or Christmas or one Easter. of the events, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's right.
1: my I just went right back to Psalm twenty two and it was right. just that was, okay. it was in my head. All right. I'm getting it. With I'm that, I'm here, you know I'm Because I was it. thinking that was <laughs> that was if they said the first line in a psalm, wasn't that to refer to the whole psalm?
0: <laughs> uh I I I'm sure I, I have it in this pre prepared list.
3: I'm sorry. Um,
0: actually it... 22
4: verses. It begins one. that
0: The psalm begins that way. It um, begins right there. Okay? Right there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Okay. We'll, we'll go through the rest of it um, next, uh, next Wednesday, Lord willing. I had the
2: same question as
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. See, that's just proof. Don't be bashful to ask your questions because two or, two or three other people usually have them also. So, But, but allow this to... Are, are there any other, uh, any other questions?
2: You, oh, okay.
0: But um, believe these things often... And, and I, I mean that, I introduced it, but I don't think there's any more difficult text in all of Scripture to grapple with than this text when we understand the weight of it and its relation to ourselves. And uh, part of the answer to that question is he's forsaken because he associated with us. That's why he's forsaken, because he associated with us before the justice of God. And that was an agreement made, Thelma, we didn't get to the other thing you mentioned, but that was an agreement made in eternity past. And Jesus is going to say, it is accomplished. And what he means when he says, it is accomplished, is all those plans that were made in eternity past, he has accomplished them. And we didn't get to that great part, you know, we've left him in the derelict state. <laughs> I thought we were going to get... Not my fault, it's your fault. I thought, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll finish this, Lord willing, next uh, next week. So, okay. At least we're
4: listening. It's very interesting.
0: Okay, let's, let's pray. Our Father, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, Your glory is, is on display uh, and past our comprehension. And Lord, what a privilege we acknowledge, what a privilege it is to hear the great news. And Lord, we pray that that we would believe these things ever more earnestly and deeply. And we pray that by understanding who you are, who we are, what you've done, that we would forever be humble men and women that you would deeply humble us and make us grateful. And forgive us, O God. And forgive us, Lord Jesus, when we're not. So, we do pray for a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit. He alone can really teach our hearts as he's done. And we pray for a greater measure of that in, in our day, in our own lives, Lord. We thank you for one another that we can fellowship around your great name and your great word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.